Welcome to Success Authority's Conversation Street with Leadership Authority, Peter Beaumont, and with Business Culture Authority, Ron Lehman, and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authority's founder. You think I'm humorous at times. No, I, I don't. So good. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be looking it's for it. For uh, I will definitely go see uh, Ron then. Ron, I'm in. Uh, yeah. Great. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> and we're off. And we yeah. are. Okay. <laughs> Who wants to take the lead on, on this? Who wants to take the lead on this, Peter? Uh, well, you are... I will. I've got a... Okay. Um, because because I wrote Paul in, and I think yeah. it was one of the one of the discussions I thought we ought to have. So um, yeah, I'd, I'd take the lead. So I think Paul, when we met, we touched on some of this, which was, and so that's one of the reasons you, you've got a huge background in supply chain. And so I tell you what, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background first, and uh, how relevant that is to supply chain, and then I'm going to toss you a couple of questions that have been on our minds as a group that will get us rolling, I think. Okay. No, that sounds good. Thank you, Peter. Um, yes, I've, I've been in food and beverage my entire 43 plus years uh, in, in industry, yeah, even, you know, going through uh, college, the same thing, you know, working some part-time uh, jobs and in the food industry and service industry, did some, uh, did some work in the airline catering business, Sky Chefs at the time, um, and then got introduced to the uh, Nestle organization, um, as specifically the Stouffer Foods division. And uh, to me, what a great place to cut my teeth to get, you know, to start a food and beverage with uh, with that that excellent company. Uh, at the time, they had restaurants and hotels. I'm dating myself a little bit. They don't anymore. They've sold off those divisions, but uh, then transitioned into the uh, Stouffer Foods division and uh, enjoyed 17 years there. At the time, uh, fortunate to jump on the wagon as Lean Cuisine was still at the time when I joined, was a had a project code name at the time. That's how this was going to be new. We we're going to control the calories. We we're going to control MSG and then additives. There really wasn't anyone in the space, if you recall, at the time. We basically, we had to move into these production facilities and move quickly. And hence, uh, with, the, with the young family and things, we moved into Canada for a period of time in Ontario. Uh, got that market going, and that was the that was the way for us to export those products, get into the UK market. Again, dating myself. The, this concept of a club, uh, well, wholesale, Costco and Sam's, we're going, what, what are these? What, you know, is this a flash in the pan idea? What is this going to be? They want different uh, configurations, shipping configurations, packaging, et cetera. Well, okay. All of a sudden, this thing, as you all know, <laughs> it, it really caught on. And we decided rather than retrofit uh, the plants, we built a plant in uh, Springville, Utah. I lived out there for eight years. That was a ground up uh, process and, you know, the, the whole thing and getting acclimated with a new area and obviously extending our distribution network then to the West Coast. Um, after, you know, that consumed the 17 years getting that product on board, I spent a little time in the, in the baking industry. You would know the products as Edwards, the dessert uh, uh, 
Edwards Desserts, now part of Schwann's, and also the Mrs. Smith's group. At the time, they were out of, uh, it was the Flowers Industry Group uh, out of uh, Tucker, Georgia. So we were living in Atlanta, to Atlanta for a period of time with the family again. And a lot of these were small organizations that were turnarounds, you know, to go in, see if we could improve some processes and get them ready, you know, get the uh, get the systems and infrastructure in place, get them ready for, for sale. We'd make the flip and uh, that's kind of, so that was the end of the baking thing, did two of those. And there was an opportunity here in Chaska, Minnesota and ended up uh, having some discussions with Kim and John Puckett and uh, uh, their team there at Caribou Coffee. Uh, and uh, I thought I'm going to put, I'm going to slide all my chips into this corner and, and get on board with Caribou. So uh, spent 19 years with them, uh, went through all the, you know, the transitions from downtown. We ended up moving into the international market, uh, which again was a, was a great experience because when I, you know, we had zero. I mean, it, it was, we had a, when I joined, we had about 135 stores here in the U.S. We didn't have any market density at the time. And we found a great opportunity then. Uh, as I left in 2018, we had 287 stores at the time internationally. And people don't know that. I mean, to this day, there'll be people traveling in Istanbul. Paul, I just saw two caribous. I said, well, there's 33 more there. Uh, so it was fun putting those in and getting the infrastructure set. As you know, I worked for Coca-Cola on the McDonald's business and helped them move into 30 new countries, 20 of which I worked on personally with McDonald's. One of the issues we face, and I was wondering whether it was the same with Caribou, is that if you uh, move too far, if you push the supply chain out too far without doing it in a series, if that makes sense geographically, it's a bit like a war where the military, you know, goes too far for the distribution of gas, fuel, you know, and all the things that you need. Did you experience the same kind of issues or, or, or and if you didn't, how did you get around that? Now, Peter, we were definitely uh, that was that was on our radar screen. Hence, our first um, we first made our establishment in the Middle East in Dubai. And to your point before we would before the tentacles would go out to the other areas. Let's set this up first. Let's get our, uh, even though our, our, our development group was out of Kuwait city, Dubai was let's get the core and let's start leveraging, you know, obviously the, the cargo containers and all the other soft costs associated with releasing containers and, you know, that in itself going through, you know, getting ourselves acclimated with customs and regulations there. There was a lot. You you don't want to go out and do the shotgun approach, as you know. So um, I think the first question I want to field you on Conversation Street as such is, um, you know, a lot has been talked about how the, we had so much disruption during COVID and, you know, we did. But um, I, I wanted to ask you, do you think some of those things would have manifested themselves anyway? Or uh, in other words, did COVID just it, it make them extreme or were they going to happen anyway? Um, what, no, perfect. Uh, hmm? Good question, Peter. Um, yes and no. I think what COVID, you know, the silver lining in the COVID situation, uh, it basically accentuated some problems that were hidden there 
anyway. Mm-hmm. It just was a, um, and again, I don't, uh, I'm not a purist on many things. And, and I, you know, I'm always, I always take a hybrid approach to, you know, whether it be JIT or some of the demand forecasting, there's always a, and it's when we play in the extremes, I think that I saw that it always makes this JIT. Notice you haven't heard that. When have you last heard that that comment before 28, you know, after 2018? Mm. You haven't. Yeah. JIT, it's great. And I think there needs to be, you, you need to be conscious of that. But if your system is set up and it's so tight and you do not have the flexibility built in, but their system platforms, if they had no flexibility or scenario options within, these guys were caught. And of course, think about how that moves again through the uh, through the spider web as it goes out to your tier one suppliers, two and three. It was it was quite a mess, uh, and I think there's some learnings there. And as I'm as I you know counsel some of my clients and things like that, it's let's take more of a flexible approach in the middle somewhere and, and optimize rather than, you know, you know, back in the day it was always, let's, let's make sure that we maximize the word was maximizing everything. Well, I think there's more of a optimization. Now, how can we optimize may not get everything, but how can we get the best service and product and pricing and keep everything, keep the nice mix, get an algorithm that, it selects the great mix of all of that. So, so Paul, that stimulates another question for me because um, apart from scenario planning, and I agree with you, I've found that I'm doing much more of that with clients now. Um, you know, plan B and plan C, even plan D sometimes. But uh, are you finding that your clients or just generally knowledge in the supply chain, people are putting more of a buffer stock in now, they're spending a bit more infantry than they used to or, or not? You know, Peter, some are, um, and again, it goes back to Elliot Goldrod, right? In the theory of constraints, the bullwhip concept. Yeah, um, yeah. Very interesting that, you know, some of us don't learn. It's okay. We're going to go ahead. We're going to recreate our, our problem again. I was just reading the logistics uh, managers index last night and uh, transportation is down. Now the capacity is down. Why? Because all of that 18 months ago was going at full steam and now everybody's sitting on a, on this inventory again. You've got the economic situation, right? That's consumers are, well, I'm not sure yet. Um, there's a lot of folks worried about the holiday season uh, that that seemed to catch some folks last year. And, you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. I, I think what's happened is we've got, um, a lot of companies, I've got a client who's got the situation where they're sitting on a lot more value than one million in stock. Fortunately, it's not perishable. It's uh, it's uh, in the furniture business, so they don't have a problem with it going off. But um, I don't think people have worked out how much they've got all this inventory because they were paying through the nose for containers if they were shipping in or, the, you know, right? I mean, at right. one point, thirty thirty five thousand dollars a container. That's down to three and a half now. Um, incredible swing. The yes, but I guess my point is, do you? They got all this infantry as a result of this stuff was either ordered or on the water, um, whichever land or sea. And will they actually, when they run it down, will, 
to your point, well, they make the same mistakes by not having enough buffer stock. Well, they're going to go back to having stock as needed because they can save so much on infantry costs. Well, and I think the the answer, Pete, well, Peter, to that again, I think it's going to be it's going to be a mixed bag. I think you're going to have some who are, depending on what the mindset, what is the vision, what's the mindset, who's at, you know, who's the leadership on, you know, as you know, as you get into uh, in front of some of these clients, I'm answering it a longer. You you can find out a lot in your discovery uh, interviews, can't you? I mean, you hear it all. It's like, okay, I see where this is coming. I see where this client is headed, and they're headed into the iceberg. It's like, okay, this is, and they're structured that way. And it's, some of it's panic. One thing that seems to be a common denominator is, um, and as we start to come out of the supply chain issue, we still got the labor issue. And that, that was one of the key things that I think some people missed. I mean, the obvious one was that we can't get drivers, right? Well, that, I think that's still the case. Yeah. Um, so I wondered if you talk to that a little bit and wh- how you see us navigating that particular labor problem, because it, I think it's key to the supply chain. Well, it is. And I think, um, Peter, that the easy answer is obviously technology. But that but again, that has its, you know, that has its hidden downsides, too, mm-hmm. as well. And it's going to be a while before. You know, you can AI to your blue in the face, and yes, there's going to be it, it's going to come on stream here. But they'll, like anything else, there's going to have to be applications that they're, they're going to have to be tested, tried. Well, I have to tell you that driverless trucks does frighten me somewhat, but still, <laughs> yeah, Pierre, almost as bad as me behind the wheel of one, right? I think <laughs> I'd still rather have a driverless truck than me, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that. But yeah, there is. And I think a, a lot of it is uh, from a labor standpoint, too. It depends. It's regionally. It depends on, you know, you know, uh, the various industries that are that are impacted by this now and, and they're, you know, where they're regionally located. And uh, I think you'll see the um, you'll see a lot of uh, union activity uh, and some of it's warranted. I mean, I never, I'm not saying, you know, it's just, it, it all depends. It depends on the management, you know, what, what kind of program is out there. But you, if you look at, I'm going to, I'll stay in the uh, QSR space for a minute. Uh, that's, that's my wheelhouse. I can get dangerous mm-hmm. and I venture out, but look at the QSR. Uh, I'll talk to my own company, Caribou. Look at how many of these small, this particular location, this Starbucks will close at five o'clock or whatever. Um, very difficult right now to, you know, and it's not, it's hair salons all the way across the board. And I, I think it's, you know, I think it's definitely having its, its impact. And, um, you know, especially I was not to take off on this a little bit, but it is related to those who are in the franchising business, trying to sell a franchise. What if Ron, you're, you know, you're being presented with a contract for, you know, three, you know, I'll just say uh, restaurants or quick serve restaurants or something like that. I'm wondering now, my questions are what economic model, what are you trying to sell right now? And how do you, how can you retrieve some of that? What is the business model you could possibly be selling when, you know, as of three years ago or so your, your economic model was, Hey, here's what you should expect from this particular site. Right. 
what happens when you're closing down at five o'clock? What guarantees are there? So I, I'm, I'm, I am seeing a little bit of hesitancy in the franchising, especially in the QSR space. And I wonder how they're going to do service it. restaurant, just to make sure we clarify that, right? What's that? Yes, sorry. Quick service restaurant. Yeah, yeah the QS. Yep, that is correct. And and you're going to see McDonald's. You mentioned that Peter earlier. Is McDonald's is already going to some automated processes behind the counter? A, a lot, a lot. Yeah. yeah, they've got these. They're the uh, leaders. Remote units, pretty much in every store. Any, all of the revamped stores now have them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and and I mentioned McDonald's because I think they're the leader. Yeah, they're yeah. all others are coming across, but they're checking McDonald's first to see, okay, is that going to work? You know, okay, all right, let's try that application. And I'm I'm waiting for the driverless car to try and order through the mobile window <laughs> of the automated person <laughs> through that hatch. <laughs> Uh, Peter, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it, maybe I will take over driving then at that particular point. I don't, that would be something else. I, yeah, I don't know, but it's, um, it's. So it, it's still going to be an issue for us. In the yes, it is. Yeah. And, and in fact, could even be more. Um, it's definitely impacting the, uh, the medical field too, as well, is you all probably know personally as you go into your different clinics and locations, it's very, you know, my own situation with my wife's condition. That's, you know, we're, you see it. Okay. All right. And you, thank goodness you do have some of the uh, technology and the application there to keep your records, you know, up to speed and your medications. Right. But in the supply chain, yeah, that's going to continue to be, especially depending on the particular industry you're in. And it's going to be also, it's going to be, there's going to be, a, based on what we just talked about 20 minutes ago, is those industries where they're having these rapid fluctuations in, in inventory, where they're sitting on a lot of it, and then they, you know, they suck it down, and all of a sudden this demand is out there. You don't, you're not going to, you know, you don't have the shifts or the capacity then to, you know, to fill that up right away. You don't. And if you're on the manufacturing side, you're hesitant to, you don't want to go out and make that commitment and, okay, well, we'll just utilize a part-time force. Well, your labor force now, they have choices, don't they? Well, I don't know if that's necessarily what I want to do. I don't necessarily know if I want to get into a part, especially under a factory environment so it's you know there's a lot of variables out there swirling in this uh good topic to bring up and i know i didn't answer them but no i think don't expect no i'm I'm trying to put you on the spot because i don't think there's any answer to some of these questions to be honest paul i think that's why we call it conversation treaties it's just what what is going on out there and what are some of the things that we need to be looking at uh, and stimulating people to be thinking about it rather than just taking it at face value and, and waiting for the us to hit the iceberg, so to speak. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversation Street. For more information or to submit a question, email successauthorities at inquire at successauthorities.com.